Hey guys, before we get started, I just wanted to let you know that Trish has launched her new blended learning course called Private Practice Mastery. For our podcast and Q&A listeners, we've set up a special discount, 30% off the lumbar spine module. You can find out more at thephysioaccelerator.com forward slash special. You are listening to the Physio Accelerator podcast with Trish Wisby-Roth. Now, following on from some of our earlier podcasts on use of telehealth and videos and other apps, I thought it was really important at this stage to talk about objective measures and how we can incorporate that into your treatment strategies, both to um, validate your your short, medium, long-term plans to also provide some security for you as the treating physiotherapist and also have a track record of uh, how you are progressing along your rehab pathway so that you can provide visual uh, validity for compensable bodies or for the patient themselves because sometimes the uh, rehab journey can be uh, over over a significant number of months. In this day and age it's easier than ever before to use um, objective questionnaires and measurements. In our clinic, we have a selection of validated and useful questionnaires that can be attached to a VisiTrack initial assessment or initial uh, exercise program, or they can be sent out before the patient is seen for their initial assessment so that they can fill out those questionnaires. Secondly, uh, we use a practice um, admin system. The one we use is Nucle, but there's many good practice systems out there. And via Nucle, we have a selection of key uh, objective questionnaires that the Uh, reception staff can be instructed to send out either before the patient comes in so you get a snapshot of uh, how they are functioning in a biopsychosocial approach or after you've seen them at the initial assessment. Thirdly, if you want to keep it really simple, you can download off the web the most common, commonly used questionnaires and these can be printed out by the reception staff and have the uh, patients fill it out prior to their initial assessment, at the time of their initial assessment or following their initial assessment. I think the big decision from the treating therapist is to decide which objective questionnaires you want to use and if you're going to decide to use a function-based questionnaire, a psychosocial-based questionnaire or over the course of treatment, uh, both. The second decision is if you are going to use a validated questionnaire to track uh, initial initial, um, presentation and then be able to show 
improvements over time. As the treating therapist, you need to decide how often you wish to have the patient fill out the questionnaire so you can check track changes. And also there are some questionnaires, particularly the psychosocial questionnaires, that only have validity the first time they're used. The OMPQ questionnaire is like that. So it's hard to re-evaluate with the same questionnaire. And for that reason, I'll go through a few ways that you can really back yourself with objective measures and visual records. If you send out a specific questionnaire, it's really important as a treating therapist to realise that your rehab strategy has to have goals and a plan to address what the questionnaire assesses. So if you feel that allodynia may be a significant part of the presenting signs and symptoms, the LEADS LEDS allodynia questionnaire, I've found been a really valuable questionnaire and it's a combination of questions that the therapist asks the patient and then tests that the therapist does on the patient at the time of consultation and that will give you a score of um, then the likelihood of allodynia being a significant part of the presenting signs and symptoms and that then can really um, direct your treatment into a hands-off very psychosocial and functional treatment strategy. For assessing psychosocial function a validated favorite of mine is the OMPQ questionnaire or Rebro. The reason I like this is that there has been significant studies carried out that that validate the OMPQ questionnaire showing if a patient scores 130 or above on this questionnaire and it's a work-related injury they have an 80% chance of not returning to work in the in the coming six months if those psychosocial issues are not addressed. This, if you do, if you perform this questionnaire early on, and as I said, um, it appears to be a questionnaire that you can only administer once, and so you'll need to have other things to be able to track improvements. But this gives you strong evidence for the compensable bodies to help you get a psychologist involved, case conferencing involved, so that you are not left single-handedly trying to treat all their psychosocial issues, their work-related issues, their home issues, and their pain and functional issues all at the same time. So... I think it's really important to administer these questionnaires early on. Uh, with um, work-related or insurance-related claims where, where the treatment is paid for or approved by a third party, it's very worthwhile to uh, 
provide the patient with an OMPQ or similar questionnaire because it backs your position as a rehab physio. And if they are happening to score high, then you can look at support for those issues early on and make them a priority. Now, in our clinic, I like to do a psychosocial questionnaire and a functional questionnaire, depending on what their issue is. And there are many uh, area-specific functional questionnaires. The WHOS, H-O-O-S, questionnaire is for hip. Um, the uh, um, Roland Morris multi-level questionnaire I really like for uh, spinal, low back, pelvis, hip, because it's quite sensitive. And the multi-level, they grade it between 1 and 10 for each of the questions. And it's been shown in research to be very sensitive and specific to changes in function within uh, the individual over time. So if they are presenting with a very acute problem, we'll usually administer questionnaires every four weeks because you have a, a, a faster recovery timeline. But you don't, you want to give the patient enough time to focus on the rehab goals, get buy-in, uh, see early changes before you ask them to uh, redo that questionnaire. If the client presents in a subacute phase, We'll usually stretch out the questionnaire intervals to between six to eight weeks between a questionnaire, functional questionnaire reassessment. And if the client presents with persistent pain, which is 12 weeks or more, it's common that a biopsychosocial approach will be needed. And in those cases, I often in the first two sessions talk to the patient about the focus needs to be on improving function. And if there is a degree of sensitization uh, associated with it, which we will investigate, very often the sensitization lags a little bit behind improvements in function. So if they can focus on the improvements in function, then those signs of sensitization with you know a multimodal approach will lag a little bit behind function and may take some time to settle down and to really focus not on zero pain, but on improving function without improvement increases in in pain and symptoms and I'll often say to them really at, at during your rehab strategies if you can maintain your pain at a three out of ten and improve your function then that is a really successful long-term strategy to improving your all-over ability to function in life and and a positive way to address sensitization issues with these persistent pain uh, presentations, though, it's important to give 
the client time to focus on the the rehab program because it will be multimodal. It will be possibly hands-on treatment in the early stages or some um, muscle releases or whatever you feel like. But after the after the first four weeks, one of the important things will be progress functional exercises, but also looking at all the important psychosocial issues of, you know, their sleep quality, um, tracking their levels of activity and increasing that, working towards confidence in, in the fearful movement patterns that they have developed. And so during the first six months of your working at a, at a gradually progressed biopsychosocial approach for persistent pain, I think um, really keeping the questionnaires to being at least 10 and often 12 weeks apart so that small gradual gains have time to build upon each other so that when you do look at some of the um, objective measures and visual records that you're creating that you can see a trajectory in the right direction and see some of that decrease in sensitization signs and symptoms. So if we're thinking about using functional questionnaires or psychosocial questionnaires and or both, what are the objective and visual measures you can use in the clinic to back up your choice of questionnaire? It's no use picking a questionnaire and and tracking that but not having a treatment strategy that is aiming to solve some of those issues and work with the patient. And also, it's really beneficial to have objective and visual records of changes. So let's go first with functional questionnaires. What are some of the objective and visual measures you can use when we're working on improving functional outcomes over time. You know, the first one I'll talk about is functional strength testing, although I tend not to put that in in the first four weeks because uh, strength testing can, um, in the early stages, as pain is settling, can be a bit provocative. So usually I'll leave that to about four weeks. But a really... If you're looking at functional ability, looking at functional strength testing with squats, lunges, lifting a certain weight, pulling or pushing tasks, and we use the AXIT system. I'm sure there's many other systems that are available for that. I know Dorsa V we've used in the past for similar similar, um, visual but also objective documentation. The second one is looking at isolated muscle strength testing with dynamometry uh, or something uh, more comprehensive for a lot of different areas being the exit system where you can have uh, uh, a pulling objective 
strength measure, a pushing objective strength measure, and a force plate objective strength measure. And at our clinic, we've been working on creating functional templates for our um, functionally rehab patients, lower limb patients, upper limb patients, those who are undergoing uh, a rehab program. And then we have some sports-specific ones. So we have a functional and specific strength protocols for cyclists, for soccer players, for, for runners, for example. The third is a ratio of muscle function on the left side compared to the right during functional movement patterns that are part of the goals that you want to get that patient back to and part of the fearful movements that they're worried that worried about getting back to. We use a NeuroTrack dual channel muscle EMG so it can record uh, on both sides. It's important to be very specific so you can validate muscle EMG as much as possible. The research shows, excuse me, <clears throat> the research shows that you get the best and most consistent um, ratios of muscle activity when the electrodes are 12 to 15 millimeters apart. They're in parallel with the muscle fiber on the main part of the muscle. You can't do this with very deep muscles. It's generally most muscles of the lower limb or upper limb, including glutes can be, research has shown that it can be as specific as fine wire electrodes. So it can be very worthwhile. And what, how we use it is we'll do an average of five repetitions of 20 seconds, either a contraction or a functional movement for 20 seconds, and then a rest for 20 seconds. And repeat that five times and look at the average left to right and of the rest period and the function periods. Try to have standardized electrode placements. So everyone in our clinic tends to put the electrodes on the same way. And again, when you're using uh, muscle EMG, it's not about the exact numbers, it's about the ratio of one to the other. So are you looking at a ratio of one to one when they're doing, doing squats, for example, and you're looking at, at glutes or quads? Or are you looking at when you're trying to build up the strength of, for example, let's say, um, increase the use of, of, of uh, your glutes as opposed to quads with someone uh, who is getting pain then we aim for more of a ratio of two to one so focus on getting glute activation to a ratio of two for the for the uh, ratio of quads but that's very problem solving an individual to the patient so then we've looked at functional strength isolated muscle strength uh, ratio of muscle activation or function, functional recruitment. The fourth one that's important, I think, is um, assessment of balance ability. And this, the test for this can vary dramatically on the capabilities of the patient. So you can use a one-legged 
control over 30 seconds either without or with an unstable surface under the foot, without or with the eyes closed. And you can choose which of those and retest that over time. For more athletic and physical patients, you can use the star balance test and we get them to do it continuously for 30 seconds and record how many times they their, their non-weight-bearing foot hits the ground. If the client has very poor balance or is quite elderly, some really effective ways of looking at balance can be getting them to walk forwards on a line a certain length or walking backwards is quite a recent one. Walking backwards three metres has been uh, linked fairly strongly with um, falls. Also a timed sit to stand, walk fast to a point, turn around and walk back to the seated starting position and that can be a timed activity that uh, can be good for the uh, more geriatric population or recovering from surgery or significant injuries. And finally, video, visual video recordings of the quality of functional movements required for work or the fearful movement patterns needed by that patient in their work, their ADL or their leisure activity. So taking just a you know, a 30-second video over time in four to eight-week gaps between visual records can be really validating for the patient. They may not be able to see that their ability to squat, their ability to lunge, their ability to balance has improved, but being able to have that visual record can be very validating for the patient and really get a lot of buy-in with the treatment. And if there's any confidentiality issues, these videos can be saved on the patient's phone so that they have uh, ownership of them. So they're the main ones we use linked to our functional questionnaires. So what are some of the objective and visual measures that you can use to record changes and improvements in psychosocial or sensitization if it's if it's present but it's important for you to choose the most appropriate way of um, recording those objective and visual records and don't overwhelm the patient with five different ones So the first one we use with all of our patients is a pacing program where we we record their their activity, you know, uh, going for walks or just activity, the amount of time they spend doing their rehab exercises and then their pain levels at the same time daily. And then over a period of 8, 12 weeks, we were able to to modulate their activities and build up their endurance without increases in pain levels is what we're aiming to look at. Now, smartwatches and and smartphones, pedometers can all be used here as a great visual record of activity and also can measure 
uh, pain VAS levels. It's important to have those those pain levels at the same time every day. So you choose with the with the patient in the decision making process what time um, that that is. And also, I really like to every couple of weeks get them to bring in the pacing program. And I'll say to them, what this does is make all of us, including you and me as a treating therapist, listen to what your body is telling us. And that every single person's body is individual, but if we take the time to listen to what their body is telling us, then really it gives the team, including the patient, really good strategies to improve function without exacerbations of the pain. And as I've said before, in those early stages, always give them a flare-up strategy so that when the inevitable happens and they've pushed a bit too much or, you know, they've gone out and been at a wedding all day or been in high heels and their pain does flare, it's not that they're back to square one, that this is your your flare-up protocol. A second uh app that can give a really nice objective and visual record is the Recognize app, which has been designed by the uh, NOI group, which involves David Butler and Laura Mosley. Now, this is a, is a really nice app that you can, the patient can test themselves or you can test the patient on their ability to recognize uh, left right and there is quite strong research evidence that with people with persistent and, and sensitization symptoms that their ability to differentially um, recognize a movement to the left versus movement to the right due to kind of homunculus smudging becomes part of a signature that shows sensitization. The positive thing you can also say to the patient is by using this app and practicing daily and with the app tracking your results by training improved acuity in left-right differentiation, particularly in the area where they're getting symptoms. So there's one for the shoulder, there's one for the back, there's one for the lower limb. The app will keep a visual record of your changes in your left-right acuity over time. And that can be really worthwhile for you as a treating therapist, for the patient, very motivating, but also a, a great record for compensable bodies if needed. Thirdly, if you, you are dealing with allodynia, central sensitization, and even some peripheral sensitization, keeping a record of two-point discrimination can be a really nice uh, tool that's both objective and visual, visual to see improvements over time. Again, you don't want to be doing this every treatment session, but if you give them you know, longer periods and reassess that two-point discrimination because it can improve quite significantly over time. However, if you've only tested it once in the initial assessment 
and they struggled with it. There, there's no backup to say that it's changing over time and that can be a really positive way of demonstrating that that central sensitization is having uh, positive effects from the biopsychosocial approach that you and the patient are working with. The other thing I'll often look at there is also tracking um, hyperreflexia and their response to cold as painful. Now, you don't have to do all of those, but as I get many tertiary referrals, those three together really do uh, give me a good concept of how much central sensitization or peripheral sensitization is happening. And um, with some of the questionnaires for allodynia, it gives you a good idea of the direction you need to go with rehab. And finally, sleep and mood records over time. Now, the amount of sleep, the quality of sleep, the mood, uh, and even their, how, how they feel at work and how they are at home can be a very important factor in improving their psychosocial um, questionnaire responses and their ability to cope with life at work, at home and leisure activities, which will be also very often reflected in their function, their confidence in their ability to move. Now, many smartphones, watches and wellness apps can be used here. So hopefully this has given you some ideas. You don't have to use every single one of them, one patient, that will be too much. But by starting to use the apps, the objective measurements, the visual records, they not only help the patient, but they really help and support you as a physiotherapist to have the documentation to support your, your rehab strategies for compensable bodies, but also to, to give support to you and to the patient that things are heading in the right direction and things are changing and not always everything is changing at the same time. As I said, function often increases and improves prior to decreased sensitization. But hopefully this has given you some food for thought and it might be a good time to sit down with with your team in the practice and say, okay, what are the ones we, we want to try? What are the questionnaires? What are the objective measures and what are the psychosocial measures? And just pick two to start with. And then you can come back as a team and look at what worked, what didn't and how to make it easier for you. So hopefully you found that worthwhile. We will talk about uh, strength testing in a future podcast because I think it's really important, but it's also very important to give it one, the place it deserves, but slotted into the rehab strategy plan at the right time. So hopefully you found something of worthwhile in today's podcast and hopefully I get to talk to you at some stage with our live Q&As and uh, if you have any interest in our onboarding series that goes through 
the cervical thoracic lumbopelvic hip regions or any of our resources for initial assessments for the upper body being the cervicothoracic shoulder or the lower body being lumbopelvic hip um, touch base with us and we will probably talk about some of those in podcasts to come until next time take care Thank you for listening to the Physio Accelerator podcast. If you'd like to find out more about what we do, head to thephysioaccelerator.com. While you're there, don't forget to sign up for our email list for more great insights from Trish and information about our upcoming courses. Before you go, if you think of a friend or a colleague who would benefit from listening to this podcast, make sure you send it their way. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.